Welcome to this week's presentation from Bethesda, a church community where anyone can belong. We hope that the following presentation encourages you in your faith journey. Thanks for listening. Who here this morning would say that you like to hear a, a great story? Anyone? Raise your hand. Do you like a story? You like a good story? Yeah. A lot of us would say that we love stories. And uh, I think all of us pretty much like stories. And many Newfoundlanders and Labradorians have been famous for uh, being able to do a good job in telling stories. Sometimes stretching the story a little bit, right? You caught a fish that was this big-ish, you know? But uh, we, all, we all like to hear great stories. And there's so many stories that, that, I've, uh, that I've heard and so many good stories that I've read. And I'm sure you could, many of you could say the same. And uh, even, even recently, for example, this is a book this morning that, uh, that I've, I've read uh, a number of years ago, and I've, I kind of looked at it again this, this past week. This book was written by uh, Harold Chubbs, and uh, a man by the name of Wade Kearley. And Mr. Chubbs, who's sitting here this morning, of course, is a member here at Bethesda. And uh, for 30 years, he had a 30-year career with the Canadian Coast Guard. And during that time of his working, at one point he was uh, serving as a technician servicing uh, equipment in light stations around the coast of Newfoundland and Labrador and recorded so many of the stories uh, of the history of light keepers and their families. And I actually visited uh, Cape Spear yesterday with my family and we walked into the lighthouse again and I was reminded of this, this book and as we looked at the rooms and the places where people lived on that harsh coastline, can you imagine in the dead of winter at times how, how that must have felt, and um, there was no TV, there was no internet to pass time, there was no electric heat, there was none of, some of this stuff wasn't till later, uh, so they, they uh, lived some uh, difficult stories for sure, and this, this book in particular highlights the stories of about 25 light stations and families along the coast, uh, uh, like I said, that was often exposed and inhospitable uh, around the coast of Newfoundland, and it's so fascinating to read some of these stories. And, uh, and thank you for, for this copy that you gave me a number of years ago. And I enjoyed reading those stories. And I looked at them again this week and was reminded of some great stories that you captured there. Also, uh, just the last little while, some of you may have read some of the stories that, that Morley has been sharing uh, with a number of people through his experiences when they were with, when they're on the missions field in, in Liberia. And just reading through some of those stories is like something out of a, a novel or, 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 out of a, or, or out of a movie because that's how stories happen. You live these things and you, you tell these things and thank you. And it's good when someone documents it so that later in life they can, can share that. And so it's been so good to read some stories and see these incredible uh, just accounts of, of things that have happened through, through various experiences that some of you have had. So I don't know about you, but I love reading and hearing stories. And some of the greatest stories ever told were documented in the Bible. Some of the greatest stories ever told uh, were documented in the Bible. And, and, and some of those, whether they're stories of epic Old Testament underdogs that, that we read about, or maybe they're, they're parables that were told by the greatest storyteller of all time, Jesus, stories have a way of drawing us in. And stories can remind us that no matter how tough life gets, how big the giants are, how impossible our circumstances appear to be, God has the power to intervene and write a better story for us. Amen? God has the power to do that. And we've started this series a couple of weeks ago, and this will carry through the summer, where we will observe a part 
of someone's story through scripture and then try to make some applications that can strengthen us, encourage us, and perhaps shape and help shape some of our own and some of your own stories today. So today, for the next few moments, we're going to look at a story from one of the greatest men who, uh, who was ever recorded in scripture, and, and his name is Elijah. Elijah. But first, before I get into this story, I want to give you a little bit of context from the time period that we're reading from this morning. Uh, when Elijah, during the time of which Elijah was alive and, and before him, but during this time when, when it was written, the northern kingdom of Israel had experienced some 19 consecutive evil kings. Okay, 19 in a row that were evil, evil, evil. And this spanned over about 200 years that this was happening. And, and I want you to let that sink in for a minute. This, this time period had 19 consecutive kings who were evil, and this time period had spanned over about 200 years. Some of you may be from countries where, where a king is in leadership, or, or for us in Canada, of course, we have a, a prime minister. Some would be more familiar with a president. But whatever the case, imagine, if you will, not just 19 ineffective leaders, that's one thing, but 19 consecutive evil leaders. This was the time in which Elijah lived. In fact, there was a very evil king named Ahab. Everyone say Ahab. Who was married to a woman named Jezebel. And under their reign, the Bible says, it says this in 1 Kings 16.30. It says that Ahab, the son of Omri, did more evil, not just evil. He did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of the others before him. So out of the 19 consecutive kings, it's just getting worse. Because now we have this guy named Ahab, who scripture says was more evil in the eyes of, of the Lord than any before him. Now, during these evil times, there was a lot of idolatry happening. When these evil kings would turn people's hearts away from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they turn people's away, uh, hearts away, and they would turn them toward false gods like the God of Baal or the God of Asher and others. And people would often do, do crazy things. Some people would, would sacrifice their children to false gods. They would defile the temples by engaging with, with prostitutes and call it worship. They would do all kinds of things that were too terrible to even talk about. And scripture says that under Ahab's reign, like, like I said, that he was more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any before him. So this is a very, very dark time. This is a time of corruption, so much corruption, major scandals, and tremendous amounts of idol worship. And God essentially said, enough, enough, enough is enough. And it's interesting that God didn't raise up an army to overtake the government or stand against the evil king. He didn't do that in this case. But instead, God does what God often does, and that is he raised up one man, one person to take a stand in this particular story. One man to take a stand. And I would submit to you that in today's world, God may want to do something similar in your environment. Maybe God might raise up, he might want to raise up one young woman to take a stand against the current, uh, the current of our culture when it comes to sexual purity. Or he might want to raise up one young business leader who will take a stand for integrity in a business that's lacking integrity. God may raise up one person to go into the political scene so that they can take a stand for that which is true. But you see, God will often choose to raise up one person to make a big difference. God often does that. We see it time and time again. 
So today I want to look at a part of this storyline of a man named Elijah and how this part of, of his story helped shape him into the man who God created him to be. This is just a part of Elijah's story. And this is what's interesting. Right away, when I look at the name Elijah, what does that name mean? Well, the name of Elijah, it comes from three root words. El, I, and Ja. You can break it up in those three, t- three segments. El stands for Elohim, or God. The I is the personal pronoun for my or mine, and, and Ja comes from Jehovah. So when you put that together, if you're taking notes, you want to, most literally, his name means my God is Jehovah. That's what his name meant. Or the Lord is my God. That's what Elijah's name meant. And so immediately when God raises up a prophet to stand against the king, the very nature of his name alone is making a statement. The very nature of Elijah's name alone is making a statement and a testimony. The Lord is the one true God. My God is Jehovah, and he's the one that God chooses to stand up against this king that have turned the hearts of many people away from the one true God unto other idols. And so let's look at scripture for a few moments from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 17, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We were having some issues with the app this morning. I don't know if it's live. It is live now. So if you use the YouVersion app, it's available there. And we'll have the scriptures on the screen. 1 Kings 17, verse 1. And that's right before 2 Kings, if that helps at all. It says this, verse 1. And we're introduced to Elijah in this way. Now, Elijah the Tishbite... From Tishbe and Gilead. Okay, so that's, that's the way he was introduced. This is the first time Elijah's name is mentioned in scripture. And so it's, he's introduced, as if I stood up this morning and said, Hi, my name is Justin. I'm, I'm a Ganderite from the town of Gander in Newfoundland. <laughs> but that's how he's introduced. You know, I can, you know, Michael, he's a Ghanaian from Ghana. Uh, I don't know, Accra, Ghana, I'm guessing here, sorry. <laughs> but, but that's how he's introduced, and that's, that's how he was known, and that's how he was introduced in scripture. And so now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, so he got FaceTime with the king. And he went up to the king and he said, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain for the next few years except at my word. Okay. So all of a sudden, he, just picture this with me for a second. Now Elijah stands up to this evil king, Ahab, more evil than all those who came before him. And he's making this grand statement to the king. To quote Pastor Rob from last Sunday, he, he, he must have had some intestinal fortitude. When he said that, I said, my goodness, don't slip on that one. In other words, he had guts to stand up to the king. He must have had guts to stand up to say that to this evil king, not knowing how he was going to react to what he, was about to, what he told him. And as we heard in week one of this series, the the important thing to remember is that obedience is the key ingredient to God showing up in our lives. And Elijah had to be obedient to what God was leading him to say. And I I can't imagine that was easy for Elijah to do, to stand up to this evil king and make this declaration. What he had just said was one of the most prophetic judgments against the land that you could ever imagine. He just said to the king that for years there would be no rain and not even any dew on the land And so now to put that into context, you know, we might be in a little bit of an economic slowdown in the last couple years, and in many ways because of some of the effects of oil prices and things like this that greatly affect our economy. Well, this was Elijah 
He was saying to the king, essentially, this would be an economic disaster uh, to us today. He is saying, you know, in a very agriculturally driven economy, no rain means everything shuts down completely. He's saying, this thing's going to shut down. This is what he's saying. No rain. In our world, it would mean no gas at the gas stations. Not able to get money from the, the, the banks. No electricity. Life as you know it ends People will starve. Unemployment, employment would, you know, unemployment would just be the norm and employment for the vast majority will be gone. And so this man, Elijah, stands before this evil king and says, there's not going to be any more rain. God wanted to get, I, I believe God wanted to get the attention of the king and the heart of the people in, in doing this, in sending Elijah, because this was a bold statement. And so then, if you read through the story, God chooses to lead Elijah after making this declaration to the king. He leads Elijah into this season of hiding. And as we'll see, and I'd hide too if I was Elijah, let's be honest. If I just said that to the king, there's no way I'm sticking around hanging out by the kingdom. I'm getting out of here, and I'm going to hide myself. But God actually hides, helps hide Elijah, and he sends him to a place. And we'll see that God takes Elijah to this place. He takes him away. And he does this so that he can do more in Elijah, so that he can do more through Elijah. God wants to do stuff in Elijah's life. Why? Because there's so much more that God wants to do through him. And, and we'll see how God shapes Elijah in this season of preparation. And I believe it was God's desire to do much more in Elijah, so that he could do much more uh, through Elijah. And I also believe that is true for many of us today. That maybe for you, for many of us, you'll be able to identify with some of this preparation work that God does at times. This shaping work that God takes Elijah through. Verse 2 goes on to say, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. This word Kareth, or Kareth, in the Hebrew it means to be cut off. Or to be cut down. It means to be cut off from every source, from the source. Or very literally, it means to be cut down like you would cut down a tree. And so we can sense what God is saying here to Elijah. Is it's as if God is wanting to take Elijah through this season of breaking. Or through this season of being cut off. A time to humble him. And a season to be totally dependent on God. So God can shape him privately. So that he can use him publicly. This is what was going on here. And I believe there are times that as followers of Jesus, we may go through a Kareth Ravine experience. It may be a season of pain where you may, might be asking, where is God in this time? When the reality is that God is right there and he's doing a work in your life. Or maybe for some of you, you would say maybe that's where you feel like you're too right now. That God has led you to the Kareth Ravine and you feel you're in a place that's isolated you might feel in a place where God is cutting you or breaking you down. And you might think it's, it's God against you. But I'm, I want to tell you today, and we're going to look at how it's not God cutting you down, but it's God actually building you up. And he's preparing you. Ravine. Krith Ravine is this place where it feels that you're being cut down. But I want to tell you that God is doing something in you. So he can do more through you. I remember when I was preparing to go on my first overseas missions experience. I was 16 years old. And uh, I had never been on an airplane, really, outside of just small s s charters around Newfoundland. 
never traveled internationally, and here I am leaving myself, by myself, at 16 years old to go to Peru in South America. And uh, I can't believe my parents let me do it from this time, like even till now, I still can't remember. But there's a missionary living there, and I was just going to go down. I met up with him, and, and we did ministry for a month in Peru. But I remember as I was getting ready, you know, I was, I was excited, I was anxious, I was nervous about the whole thing. And in the midst of preparing, I, I, I was able to have this conversation with a couple in our church. And they were missionaries, they were experienced missionaries who have been in various places in the world. And, uh, and they were from my hometown, and I sat with them, and they came over to my place, and I asked them a bunch of questions on what I should, uh, what I should you know, uh, feel, what I should be thinking, what I should expect, and, and, and we sat and we chatted for quite some time. And they told me so many things, but there was one thing in particular that they told me that I'll never forget. They basically said, and I'm asking them, you know, for advice and, and all of this, and they're saying, there's one thing that we can tell you. We can guarantee you that you'll have one of these experiences. And I'm like, okay, what is it? Give it to me. I'm excited. I'm ready to go. What can I be guaranteed? What encouragement do you have for me as I prepare to go on this incredible journey? And they responded by saying, we guarantee that God will change you and God will break you. <laughs> and I'm thinking, that's not what I was expecting to hear. I'm thinking, God's going to build me up. I'm going to be a stronger man of God. I'm going to have an amazing experience. My heart's never going to be as full as this in my life. And they're saying, yeah, yeah, well, God's going to break you first. And so they told me that. And sure enough, he did. And God used this experience as, you know, as parts of it were amazing and good. There were parts that I learned more about myself and more about God in my life than I ever did before. And there have been seasons in my life where everything wasn't great. And I know that through these seasons in my life, God has used it to shape my life. And I think some of you can have that same testimony. And I know for some of you, maybe you're going through a Kareth ravine and Elijah was here. He was in this place for months and months. He was in a place where he was alone. No one understood what was going on. Not even himself, perhaps, but God was doing something in him and was preparing him for what God wanted to do through him and through his storyline. So those of you who may be in a Krith ravine, be encouraged today that although it feels like God is breaking you, the more that feels like he's breaking you, I want to tell you the more he's preparing you for what he has for you. The next thing that God takes Elijah through as he shapes him and he's molding him into total dependence on God He's making him rely on God. Elijah couldn't depend on anything else but God in this moment. He couldn't rely on his own strengths. He couldn't depend on himself to do anything for himself, but he had to rely on God. Verse four to six says this, that God said to him, you will drink from the brook and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. He couldn't go to Costco and pick up what he wanted. So he did what the Lord had told him. That's the obedience that we spoke of a minute ago. He did what the Lord told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. And sure enough, the ravens brought him raisins. No, brought him bread. I, I tripped up on that one. And meat in the morning, and bread, and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. In this season of preparation for Elijah, it was clear uh, to me that this was God's way of saying that no matter what, Elijah... No matter where I lead you, I am going to be faithful and I am going to provide for you, even in the season that you're going to go through. I'm going to provide for you. 
And maybe for you this morning, maybe there was something that you put your trust in for security that has been taken away and, and, and all of a sudden that was taken away and you don't have that to lean on anymore. But God might be saying, you know what? That's because I need you to lean on me because I'm the one that's your provider. I can provide for you. And maybe you've been there where you've had to learn uh, that when everything that you've tried to put your faith in fails, that God never fails and he will be faithful to you. There's a story of a single mom and she knew this all too well. She would pray every single day and there was, she actually lived in this apartment building next door and the next apartment over was an atheist that she had met and, and he had interacted with her a number of times. And he would hear her through the walls as she would pray and she would worship every single day. And this, this, this atheist would, would get agitated and he would say to her when he seen her, what in the world are you doing? Making all that noise, praying to a God. There is no God. Why don't you just get it? There's no God. And, and so one month, you know, as she was going through this real struggle uh, in providing for her children, she was praying one day, she was praying out loud. She said, God, you've always provided for me. You've always been faithful. I know you're going you're gonna to provide again. Please provide food for me and my children. Please uh, uh, provide for us right now. And so as she's praying, this atheist could hear her praying through the walls of the apartment. And, and immediately he went across the, the street to a grocery store. He brought uh, over these several bags of food. He laid them outside of her door he knocked on the door and hid in his own apartment again and he could hear her go to the door and she opened and then she began to give God praise thank you God for for providing for my needs thank you God you showed up again thank you for your provision in my life and he steps out and he goes ha he goes I got you that wasn't God God didn't do that I did that I picked those up I put them there and she just didn't skip a beat she just kept going God thank you for providing for me and thank you for allowing the devil to pay the bill She knew God's provision. She knew it. Forever and always, God will be your provider. Amen? That he's your provider. But here's the interesting thing about it. You know, God didn't give him, you know, uh, two days worth of food during those moments. He didn't give him a week's worth of food just to hold on to. But God said, I'll give you enough for the day. I'll give you enough for the day. Maybe you feel weak and God is saying, I'll give you strength for today. I'll give you enough for today. I'll be your daily bread. And Elijah learns to depend on God each day, day by day. Amen? And, and we see that. And God is teaching him to be totally dependent on him. Even when Elijah had no ability to provide for himself, God is teaching him, I will be your provider. And so first we've seen Elijah led to this place where he's isolated, where he feels like he's being, it's a place of being cut down or, or broken. Then he learned to be absolutely dependent on God, and now God teaches him about obedience. Next verse, 7 to 9, it says, Sometime later, the brook dried up. The brook that he depended on, the brook that God provided for water for him, it dried up and it ceased to exist. Because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him and said, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. Now let's imagine being in Elijah's shoes for just a moment. It's been months probably that he's been by this ravine. God's provided for, for him through water, through food, bread, meat every day. God fed him, provided for him, and then the brook dries up. Then God's provision that he depended on each and every day, that he was becoming used to, disappeared and dried up. You probably heard it said that God will often guide you by what he provides. 
Um, you know, I believe that's absolutely true, that God may open a door of opportunity for you to walk through, and he's provided that for you, and so you can walk into that. But I believe there's times uh, when, when God might be leading you by what he doesn't provide as well. Uh, like Gideon, you know, the first example is, is like the Gideon who put out a fleece, and God provided a sign, you know. He asked God if, if the fleece was wet and the ground was dry, and, and opposite, you know, that God provided a sign to assure Gideon of his provision. But like I said, there's oftentimes like here in the life of Elijah, God may also guide by what he does not provide. The same God who gives water may choose to make the brook dry up to give us the courage to step in obedience to what he has next. Because I can imagine Elijah became probably a little bit comfortable in knowing that God was there. And it might have been hard again, but God reminded him that he needed to take a step of obedience. So the brook dried up. And this gave Elijah the courage to once again be obedient, even if it didn't really make sense. God said to him, go to Zarephath. And so to give you an overview of the next number of verses, I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but you can read it sometime, when you, uh, maybe today or, or in the days to come, and, and just look at this for yourself. But we see that Elijah travels to this place, and he comes and he sees this widow, and God said that she was going to provide for him. And when he meets this, this lady, he asks her, would you bring me some water so I can have something to drink? And he asked her for that. And I can just imagine this woman, she probably thought, are you crazy? What planet have you been living on? You're a stranger. You're coming and asking me to give you some water when there's been a drought in the land. I don't have much water. Don't you know that we're in the middle of a drought? But it doesn't stop there. Elijah goes on and says, oh, while you're at it, do you mind just preparing me some, uh, some bread as well? Would you mind giving me something to eat? She said, bread? Are you? There's been a drought. We're, we're, we're low on rations. I don't have any bread, the woman replied. And all I have left is a little flour and a little oil. And she tells him, I'm just about to make a last meal for myself and my son so that we may eat it and then die. And you want me to give you the water and the bread? And I don't even know who you are. I can imagine this exchange between Elijah and the woman. But you see, because of what God had been already doing in Elijah's life, he looks, Elijah looks at this impossible situation and then he speaks faith into it so that she can hear. And as the band gets ready to come back, this is what Elijah says to her. Next verse. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. He says to her, he says, the jar of flour, it will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day that the Lord sends rain on the land. And then he goes into the next verse in 15. We'll go forward to the next one there. She went away and she did as Elijah told her. So there was food, everything that he had said to her, everything that because he experienced God's faithfulness, he knew God was going to provide so he could say with confidence that God will provide for you. And sure enough, there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. You see, the miracle that God provided here in this story was probably wasn't the miracle that she had been praying for. I can imagine she had been praying for a miracle through this whole time. She's praying for her family and her, her prayer was probably something like this. God, would you please end this drought? God, would you please send rain on the land? If you don't send rain, we're going to die. We need the skies to open up. We need rain. We need water. We need to grow our crops. God, would you do a big miracle here and would you send rain? But instead, the famine ending didn't happen. But yet, 
she was given a supply of flour and oil until the end of the drought. It wasn't the miracle she had expected, but there were miracles all along the way. When you want the drought to end, when you're expecting the big miracle in your life, in your family, in your sickness, in your pain, when you're expecting the drought to end, when you want the situation that you're in the middle of to be over, when you're praying for that big miracle, when you want the drought to end, but God gives you flour and oil, what do you do? You be thankful. You be thankful for what God is doing. Because I want to tell you, you got to give God praise in the process. Give him praise in the process. You may not understand what God is doing, but he is at work and he is providing for you day by day. It may feel as though you are being cut down, but he's doing something in you so that he can do something more through you. So here's Elijah and the widow and her son. And the God's providing them with what's needed to carry on. Things are good again. They're relying on God's faithfulness, his provision. And then suddenly one day, tragedy strikes. And the son died. The mom started to panic, as you can expect, and she started asking, is this God's judgment on me? Is this to remind me that I have turned from the one true God to false gods? Is this because of my sin and Elijah? Because of all that had happened, because God was shaping him and God did something that to our knowledge from scripture now had never been done before. God was about to do something through him. Elijah takes this boy who had died. He carries him up to the upper room of the house and he lays and stretches his hands over this boy and he begins to call out to God to heal this boy because he believed that God could do it. And then God raises this dead boy back to life. This is the first account in scripture where we see a dead body being brought back to life. It's not like he had seen it probably. He hadn't probably done that before, but he totally depended on God. How did this happen? I believe it happened because God took him to the Kurth Ravine and God did a work in Elijah in his life where Elijah couldn't depend on anything or anyone else but God. And God used what seemed to be completely horrible to shape Elijah into the man that God wanted him to be. Do you think Elijah would have had the faith to do that if he didn't come from the place where God had placed him? Where God had prepared him and shaped him to to depend on God? Do you think if Elijah didn't go through those valleys in his life that he would have been prepared to do what God had wanted him to do? I don't think he would. I don't think he would have had the faith to believe if he didn't already be prepared by God in the process. You may feel as though you're in a Kreeth ravine, but today perhaps you're seeing that God is doing something in you so that he can do something more through you. In verse one, we were introduced to Elijah as Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead. He was known by where he was from. That's that's what we're introduced just 23 verses later in our Bible he's no longer known by where he's from but whom he's from the last verse of this story that I'll read it says this it says then the woman said to Elijah now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is truth God may be shaping you 
so that there will come a time, if it hasn't already happened, where someone will have no choice but to think, wow, she must be a woman of God. He must be a woman of God. Now I see it. You're a child of God. I pray that as you go through seasons in your life, and when I go through seasons in my life where God is shaping me and where God is shaping you, and where I'm in a place where God is the only one that I can depend on, where I see his provision and his leading in my life that people wouldn't just say, and I know people don't say it, but go with me. They wouldn't just say, there's Justin, the Ganderite from Gander in Newfoundland. They wouldn't just know me for where I'm from, but they would say, there's Justin. I know he's not perfect, but he's a man of God and a man of faith. And I pray the same thing for each and every one of you who are here today that people would know you for whom you belong. And I pray that for you, that you would trust God in all the storms and the seasons of life that you may have to go through and recognize that God is doing a work in you so that others will be able to see you, not just from where you're from, but whom you're from, that you're a man, that you're a woman, that you are a child of God, and that God is using you, and that God has shown up in your life. And he may choose to use you like he used Elijah. It may not be stretching out over a dead body to raise him to life, but it might be standing in a place where God needs someone to stand up. Maybe it's in a workplace. Maybe it's in your school. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it is a time when you need to step up and say a word of faith over somebody who needs to be healed. Be attentive to what God is doing. Allow the seasons that you go through that are difficult not to discourage you, but keep your eyes fixed on Jesus through all of that. And as you do, he will continue to shape you in those seasons so that he can prepare you for the work he wants to do through you in the days to come. Amen. We're gonna sing a song in a moment. I'm gonna just ask you to stand with me. And uh, I apologize. I might go back to a song you sang earlier because it really resonated with, with me singing about the goodness of God. And uh, maybe some of you feel as though you're walking through that fire right now. Maybe some of you feel you're in the Kareth Ravine in this moment. But you need to know today that even in all of that, that God is good, that he is faithful, and that he is with you. You are with me in the fire. You're with me in this flood. You're with me in the storms of life. And you're shaping me for who you want me to be. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about our church community, please visit our website, Bethesda.ca, and consider joining us for a gathering soon.